Dokong Gamer Episode 2. In this episode, we'll be talking about Braid, Mega Man 9, and my favorite movies of the summer. So before I get into the highest score segment, I'd first want to welcome all of you listeners, all one or two of you if I'm lucky. And basically, at the end of the last podcast, um, I was saying that if any of you guys wanted to maybe get in touch or just, you know, give a comment or critique the podcast, you can all send it to dokang-gamer at gmail.com and I'll be happy to get back to you as soon as I can. Because really, like I said previously... I really do need some sort of dialogue with you guys, you know, some sort some sort of reason to keep this podcast going, you know, to just give the, the show a little bit of life. Because it, it really is about gamers talking to other gamers. I'm just really trying to get my ideas out there. It's more really an attempt to me to reach out to you guys, hopefully find like-minded people so that I can really talk to you guys. So I would really love to, uh, would really appreciate if you guys did say something about the podcast, did say something about the thoughts maybe that I put out there, or maybe your own thoughts about video games, or anything in general, actually. So, again, that is dokang-gamer at gmail.com, so I'll be looking forward to your emails. So, okay, there you go. Um, so that soundbite you just listened to actually came from the OST of Braid, and I have to tell you that, you know, um, I was just listening to a few of the tracks of the game, and I really, really do like the music itself. It sort of reminds me of Final Fantasy VII in that it's very orchestral. It has this very eerie, almost sad tone to it. Very atmospheric, um, more than anything. And I, you know, I really, really do like these kinds of kinds of um, music, um, especially for video games, because it adds that sort of, you know, level of complexity and refinement to video games. Which is, you know, um, which I guess goes to show just how much progress games have undergone over a re- really a very, very short amount of time. So that said, um, the reason why we have it soundbite is because we are going to talk about Braid this week. So, you know, um, if you haven't heard about Braid yet, it's basically this platformer puzzle game that is sort of like Portal in that Portal really is in a strictest sense, to me at least, a puzzle game, but that has a, an FPS skin. So in the same way, I would consider Braid more of a puzzle game, but a puzzle game that uses the um, platformer mechanic to drive those puzzles. So yeah, um, basically that's it. Um, in certain levels of the game, you just jump around going from trying to go, go from point A to point B, collecting puzzle pieces, collecting keys along the way. And you never die in the game, which to me is very refreshing. It's a different take on the time manipulation mechanic. So basically, if an enemy touches you or kills you, or if you drop into a to a um, a bed of spikes or something, you can just turn back time and you're alive again. So it's kind of like how Prince of Persia did it, but then again, without the you know sands of time power bar. So you can do it as long as you want. Basically, you can play the game for like an hour, and I guess I'm not sure you can replay the whole hour if you want and do it another way. So, yeah. So, there you go. I mean, um, the game has received a lot of critical acclaim. Um, A lot of people have complained about it. Like, people have said that the game is sort of trying too hard. It just, it's sort of like, I don't know, an an ego uh, game in that if you finish the game, you really feel smart, 
or something like that. I mean, you know, I guess the puzzles are designed in such a way that they can be brutally difficult. So at the end of the day, if you can get to finish a certain level, then you feel really smart about yourself. I mean, to me, yes, I guess that's a valid point. But then again, I guess that sort of does the game injustice in that. I mean, a lot of games are very brutally difficult, right? But I guess the fact that this game is a puzzle game more than anything, so it really is supposedly an exercise of your mind more than anything that, as compared to like reflexes or whatever that you might need to finish, let's say, Ghouls and Ghosts or Contra and everything like that. I guess, you know, it drives brain more than other brutally difficult games drives more the point of if you use your mind more then you'll get to finish the game so maybe that's really all there is to it but you know um all in all i think from what i've seen of the game and yes remember that highest score is done in such a way that i actually talk about games i've never played so my impressions really are that the game as it is is a very very brilliant game because really um it's i don't think it's a casual game more of but it does feel like a casual game that it's very 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 simple the mechanics are very simple you just basically jump and you know um stomp on monsters um get the key then um turn back time if you if you foul up or in some cases turn back time in order to sort of replay some of the things you've done or something like that i think that's how it goes right and to me the simplicity really lends itself well to make the game evolve as it goes right it's not an artificial sort of game that you know keeps giving you different abilities as you level up i mean it's kind of like um you know the opposite of rpgs in that an rpg keeps giving you all these abilities, keeps giving you all these um, these equipment and everything. But basically, the gameplay stays the same all throughout. It's sort of an artificial way of making the game more interesting the longer you go into it. Now, of course, I mean, I'm not trying to diss RPGs, quite honestly. RPGs are sort of still my favorite genre of game. I mean, it's what really got me to video games. But then again, the thing is, you have to admit that RPGs are basically that, right? That it's aside from the story element that drives you to play the game it really is all about item collection it really is all about getting more abilities and that supposedly artificially makes the game more interesting the farther you get into the game um you know in contrast braid basically gives you everything you need from the very start and the genius of um the level design comes out as the game plays along so in that sense, to me, it's um, a lot more satisfying, it's a lot more genuine, in that it really gives the gamer more content, and without really being, you know, sort of artificially giving you content, you know, uh, I mean, I hope you guys get what I'm trying to say. So, in that, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant game, and I have tried to design my own platformer games in my head and it's not as easy as you guys might think because basically yeah you, you, every level has to be unique in its own way and you don't have all these you know accessories or whatever to give to the player to make the level more interesting it really has to be about the game itself and i really do appreciate games that are very very simple at the very start because that really allows the game designer, the level edit, uh, the level designer, and everybody involved in the team to really focus on the gameplay itself. If you have a very solid foundation, especially for the controls of the game, the mechanics of the game, then that gives you a lot more time to think about the level design itself and how to make every moment of the game a lot more interesting. So that said, I mean, that's enough really to me. And that's enough reason to buy Braid because one, it's a fairly cheap game it has an amazing amazing soundtrack um um it has an amazing amazing look to me a very hand-painted very organic you know it's it's really an homage i guess is that the right term to older games it really does look like a platformer it makes use of um you know floating ledges and everything it makes use of um what do you call this uh ladders and everything very very old school type but it is a progression a legitimate progression of the genre of platforming and puzzle games 
So to me, that in itself is a good reason to pick up this game. And it's cheap. It's like $15, right? But again, since this is Dokkan Gamer, I do not have access to this game because I don't have an Xbox 360, unfortunately. So, um, and I will not get an Xbox 360. Thankfully, though, the game will be coming out for PC sometime soon, hopefully in November or something, so I can have this game by Christmas. Although it kind of sucks because platformers aren't really meant to be played on a keyboard. So maybe I'll buy an Xbox 360 controller for the PC, who knows. But definitely, 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 I will buy Brain. Um, and I think you guys should too. And... You know, that said, I would like to elaborate more why this game, to me, is a must-buy more than anything. I mean, I've talked about the game, the game itself, as a game, but you know what really, really fascinates me more about Braid, and a lot of people have said this before me already, is that this game is made by this really, really interesting, really, really passionate guy named Jonathan Blow. And I've heard... Um, you know, several I've read several interviews that involved him. I've, um, I particularly like the podcast that One Up FM did in like September 11, I think, if I'm not mistaken, which featured Jonathan Blow. And you know, it was just so so interesting. I mean, this guy really is to me a hero of the industry. I mean, if I had to, you know, if I had um, to choose mentors, if I had people that I really admire in the video game industry, they would include, of course, um, like Miyamoto, Sakaguchi, um, Kojima, and others, and definitely, definitely, Jonathan Blow will be there. I mean, this guy is just so interesting. I mean, the game Braid itself is amazing in itself, but if you sort of dig deeper into it, I mean, what went into the development of it, the thoughts that went into the game itself, you know, what it was trying to express, actually. I mean, you you could just see the graphics, you could just, you know, read the text and everything, but if you really dig deeper into the meanings of everything, I mean, you know, your $15 game suddenly becomes easily a $100 game, if you ask me. So, I mean, who? so yeah, what, what makes Jonathan Blow so special? What makes that connection between Braid and the developers so, so special? I mean, to me, really... Braid is more than just the game itself. It really is a step in the right direction for the video game industry in general. I mean, a lot of people have always critiqued games, and I've felt this ever since I was a kid. I mean, just to expound on that a little bit more, you know, games have never really gotten a good reputation, even until now, right? Um, when I was a kid, my parents and everybody else really discouraged me from playing video games. You know, it's the only thing I enjoyed. I mean, while everybody else was buying like clothes or books or everything, and of course, parents are more than happy to give kids their books and their clothes. I always just wanted video games, and I never really got them because basically, what I don't know, video games are the product of the devil or something like that, right? Like, it'll eat and it'll fry your brains and consume so much time and don't sit close to the tv and that was sort of impossible at the time because we basically just had a small house and you know um we can't really go far from the tv and everything suffice it to say that you know um to me being in love with video games and being a gamer was really sort of a struggle because i i, I basically you know um had to contend um, with all these other factors, like, uh, yeah, basically, video games have always had a bad rap. I mean, only recently has video games received some sort of a mass appeal that it's not so bad to play video games anymore, but as we all know, um, that's still not is entirely the case because a lot of games still get a lot of flack that, you know, supposedly kids grow to become violent because they play video games and why... Um, and why video games are, you know, are the ones being tar- uh, why video game is the target of such, such accusations and not, say, comics, not, say, books or movies. I guess they point out it's the interactive element of the game. Basically, it teaches, sort of, the gamer to shoot people or be violent as opposed to just watching it. So, 
supposedly, you know, it's flawed logic to me because, you know, to me, it can also be thought of as an outlet. Video games can be an outlet. Like, you can't punch somebody in the face, but in a video game, that allows you to do that. And, you know, without placing anybody else in, at harm. So, you know, it's just a chicken and egg thing argument, maybe. I mean, I really don't know. I'm not going to get into it. But um, all I'm trying to point out is that video games have always been sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a neglected media format, so to speak, that it's supposed to be sort of brainless and everything, and it was supposed to be sort of... You know, it, it, I guess it didn't start off as a respectable um, form of media because the focus of games really is in having fun. And I guess having fun is equated to being lazy. Having fun is equated to being, you know, not insightful and everything. And I think that's where the brilliance of Braid really shines because it takes that, you know, yes, it is a fun game. Yes, it is, you know... Um, gonna eat up some of your time and everything but it also is a, a testament to how powerful the media the medium sorry the medium of video games really is and you know I, I want to expound on that a little bit more too because really I mean you know um Jonathan Blow is you know when I was listening to that podcast of one up FM that I um just mentioned earlier it was so interesting because I thought I love I loved video games. I thought, you know, I was basically the spokesperson of video games already that, you know, just really loving video games itself, not loving playing it per se, but really just loving video games and everything it stands for. He goes, you know, he just blows my mind, basically. He takes it so much further than I ever have, and he is really an inspiration to me. And, you know... Oh, some of the people. If, if if I could work for the guy, I would really. I mean, in a heartbeat. He doesn't even have to pay me anything because I just think that all the insights he has, all the ideas he has, the idea, you know, the ideals he have, he has for the video game industry is are the ideals I want to have. Quite honestly, um, you know, um, he goes on to say something that, unlike every other medium. I mean, of course, I'm not quoting him directly or anything, but um, what he basically said was that the difference of, and the difference and I guess the advantage of the video game medium is that unlike almost every other kind of media, like um, the print media or television or radio and everything, video games is inherently interactive. I mean, while, yes, there are sort of interactive print stuff, there's interactive television, sort of, there's interactive radio and that you can call in and all of that. Video games is, at its heart, at, at its core, an interactive media. And, you know, because it is interactive, it can make gamers feel, or, you know, the people who actually play the games um, feel differently. It offers this unique experience that no other kind of media can give you. I mean, mostly when you watch something on TV, when you watch, uh, when you read something on print, it really is a passive experience. You're just basically taking in everything that's right in front of you and basically processing that. But with video games, you actually play an active part in the video game itself. Jonathan Blow puts it in a very beautiful way. Something like, whereas, I guess, you know, traditional forms of media can exist by themselves, that they are whole as themselves, even if nobody looks at them or anything, they are still existent. However, video games cannot exist without a user, cannot exist without interaction, because precisely because that is the core and heart of the media that it is interactive and that's the only you know that's the only way it can exist um without that interplay between the player and the game there is no game and there is no player so something that's so interesting hopefully i did it some sort of justice and i hope you guys sort of understand it because that is just to me a very very profound way of really putting it and it really opened my eyes to what video games are or just how powerful they are and that you know as an aspiring um i don't know um practitioner i guess in the industry i think that's something that i really would 
you know include in what in you know my my everyday dealings with with life with the industry that i really want to basically um believe in the power of video games that it's really really unlike any other media and to co- you know everybody's always um compared video games to art is it art or is this just pure entertainment or is this is it even an ex a, a, an expository tool I, I don't know if i'm saying that right but you know what are video games exactly and i think you know how jonathan blow thinks of video games while it might not be the you know ideal way of thinking of video games yet i think it is a profoundly um you know i guess courageous step into the right direction because i guess it just really shows you how young the the industry is that people haven't really tapped into the potential of interactivity as a medium yet you know um i don't think any game has done that yet that the pure interactive experience really is what everybody else is looking for and i guess it never will happen because um through the nature of it i mean it's part interactive it's part passive i mean you can't help but look at the art i mean the graphics itself you can't help but look at the music and the sound itself and of course the interactive um thing plays in there too so you know i guess it will never be a purely interactive media because you know i guess it's just not possible to basically um filter out everything else but i guess it's very 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 important to note that the interactivity really is where video games really shine and where i guess the um the accountability the responsibility the um how should i put it i guess yeah the accountability of video games really lies in that you have to make the interactive experience as pure and as genuine and as i don't know um as um informative as insightful as inspirational i suppose as possible because that really is where the media excels and in a way games haven't really um paid much attention to that because um like every other media how, how i mean it just really shows you how different the media of video games is it right now it's sort of not taken that seriously even to this day because it's really uh, i don't know a capitalist's media basically video games from the get go was really something done for profit um you know it's not like say somebody writing his own memoirs or something that you don't really mind if it sells or not video games from the very start has all have always been made as you know uh, a cash printing machine basically it they're made purposefully to make profit and you know that adds just to how complex the problem of video games really is to me how you know people don't see it as i do and other gamers do who really love the media because it is sort of a devil's media really because you know from the very start it's supposed to generate profit and that is why i love jonathan blow so much for making braid because he has very he's been very very candid very very open in saying that braid really is a game that's that was made because he loved he 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 loved the media itself he just really wanted to show i guess people what the media was capable of doing and i think that was re- that is really going to be his legacy right that um it didn't matter to him whether or not the game was going to sell or anything he put his own money in the game and that is also very very admirable to me and that in itself even if the game sucked or anything that in itself to me is reason enough to buy the game because you know all these people who are trying to further the video game video game media medium in the right direction really do deserve all the support we we can give them right um it, but then again i mean the good thing is the game's actually very very good so you really are definitely going to be getting your money's worth and i really urge everybody to to buy this game try it out and you know dudes um i just really love how this game is positioned um 
I don't see any, you know, um, bad bone in Jonathan Blow's body or anything. Not to say that, you know, I'm praising the guy and he's a god to me, but really, I just find the game and Jonathan Blow put together as a very genuine package. It is very just... It's very heartwarming to me as somebody who really wants to do... Or, you know, who can relate to him. Um, you know, I'm going to go out there and say that if I could ever become some somebody like Jonathan Blow and make my own game and really just do it for the love of it, then I can die a happy man, right? Um, it just really is more than a game to me. Braid is really a statement. It's It's really what games should stand for and what game games should be if they are ever to gain the respect of everybody else and to me you know that that's sort of a lifetime goal already i mean it's only recently that i've actually you know thought about it and actually could write it in words or say it in words that i really do want the video game medium to gain the respect of everybody else that it's not just this you know let's have fun kind of medium it's not just that it really is so much more powerful than every other media and I guess that's what makes developing video games so much more difficult for everybody else. That, you know, you're sort of stuck in that, yes, we have this super, super powerful medium and, you know, we can do so much with it and we can just influence people so much with it. But then again, um, since it is more of a consumer's product, really, more than anything, then I guess it complicates the problem. That uh, who are we to say that you know, um, games should be purely art or games should be purely done for profit or games should just be fun or whatever. I mean, you know, uh, I can't really express it correctly, but I guess that's just really, you know, um, it just goes to show how complicated video games really are. I mean, the, the, the industry itself and the place, I mean, its place in society, I suppose. Oh, I mean... You know, I, I I just really can't. I'm I'm sort of speechless and I, right now. I I don't really know. I can't really collect my thoughts that well. But I guess yeah, that's that's all, really all I'm trying to say. That Braid is doing the right thing for the industry. Uh, an industry I think that has a lot of potential, but it also has a lot of problems. Um, uh. I do love the medium. I do want it to succeed in everything. And but at the same time that I want it to be, you know, um financially viable and everything, I also want it to do um very courageous things, very things that have never been done, things that are not necessarily um driven by the need, the greed to want money or something like that, right? I mean, um, you know, hats off to games like Braid, hats off to people like Jonathan Blow, hats off to like games like Psychonauts and everything and Eco that never really made um, well I guess Braid is going to make a lot of money but for those games that really tried to go out there and you know make a statement, make a game that was fun primarily but then again really tried to go beyond that fun that, and, uh, that games are really supposedly and, you know, the, the fun that you expect from a game. So, bravo to all of you guys. Um, hopefully, Jonathan Blows um, is, is listening to the show somehow. And Because I really do want to commend him for what he's done. And I really do want to follow his footsteps. And that, you know, I've, I've, I really do feel very, very passionate about the industry. And I really do fe feel envious of him that he is already in that position to basically... Um, I don't know, um, speak his mind about the industry, like, just show people how great the medium is. And, you know, I guess this podcast is a step in that direction for me personally, but seriously, I do envy those guys, and hopefully I will be in that sort of position um, in the near future or in the far future, who knows. Um, uh, all I want to say is really that, you know, games are beautiful, games are beautiful, and hopefully you guys can relate to that too because you know to me it really is has been an emotional investment it really is more than just an investment of time 
or money to me, video games are just they mean a lot to me. They speak volumes um, to me. I mean, I've invested so much in them emotionally and mentally. Perhaps I kind of think too much about them and all of that. But yeah, I mean, see, I, I'm I'm sort of in this stupor right now. I'm sort of in this kind of feeling very sappy about it about video games of all things right but yeah i guess that's really the effect of braid to me and you know i'm just so happy that a game like this has come out and i'm even happier that it's getting a lot of success so far financially and hopefully that that image i mean you know um these kinds of developers won't be tainted in you know, whatever complexities that arise in the industry, because it is a very, very complicated industry. So Jonathan Blow, keep doing what you do. And definitely when the PC version of Braid comes out, I'll be right there. So hopefully you guys agree too. And let's move on. segment game over hopefully i i didn't bore you guys too much in the previous uh, segment but really it was sort of em i was sort of emotional about it quite honestly because it just really you know a game like this doesn't come along too often like braid i mean and you know uh i just wanted to pay it respect for that so hopefully you guys are still listening and let's move on um if you listen to the, the track that's played now, if you are a big Mega Man fan like I am, you would know that it's from Cutman in Mega Man 1. So, uh, I also love Iceman, which I'll play right now. She will play right now. just love the uh, um, sound editing. Anyway, post-production, right? Anyway. Um, yeah, so this week uh, we'll be talking about Mega Man 9. So is it good? Is it bad? And this time around, yes, I have played it. I have downloaded it on WiiWare already, and I have to say that bravo, bravo, Capcom. Amazing, amazing piece of software, quite honestly. Um, granted, yes, I am a Mega Man fan, alright? I mean, I have... I was fortunate enough to be one of, I guess, a few people who have played Mega Man in order. I mean, I actually knew Mega Man not as Mega Man, but Rock Man, the Japanese version of him, and I didn't know Proto Man as Proto Man. I knew him as Break Man, yeah, who, which is also the Japanese version of it. I don't know why he's called Rock Man in Japanese, because that means he's, you know, supposed to have the power of stones and rocks, right? But Anyway, I guess that's why Mega Man is more appropriate. Um, yeah, I played um, Mega Man 1 first, sec and Mega Man 2 second, and Mega Man 3 third. So, you know, I, I was one of those people who actually knew Mega Man 1 before Mega Man 2. And quite honestly, as a kid at least, I did enjoy Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 3 more than I did Mega Man 2. Although, 
um, I have heard around, you know, whenever I read through the net, that Mega Man 2 supposedly is the quintessential Mega Man experience. Um, right now, though, uh, I haven't played the game in such a long time, those three games in such a long time, that I can't really pass judgment. But what I do remember about Mega Man 2 is that as difficult as it was, and I really do remember Mega Man 2 to be di particularly difficult for some reason, but it's actually the only one of the three Mega Man, first three Mega Man games I actually finished, legitimately. I mean, I've, in Mega Man 1, I only remember ever beating Cutman, I guess. I could never get past the whole weird platforms, falling platforms, and Gutsman's stage, and, you know, Iceman's stage was just a, such a chore to get through. And, you know, um, I don't even remember what Wily's ch stages look like in Mega Man 1. So anyway, I do remember finishing Mega Man 2. And I, re I, I do remember finishing Mega Man 3 as well. But then again, Mega Man 3, I sort of cheated my way through the whole thing. Um, so, you know, uh, that's not really um, completing the game, if you ask me. So yeah, Mega Man 2, right? So Mega Man 9 um, is really a throwback to... The 80s to me, uh, it just feels really, really good. You have a, you know, it, it's a testament to how good the game design was back in the day. How games really just focused on the basics of everything and just took that to levels that, quite honestly, I don't see in modern games anymore. That the level design, the thought that was put into it, how fun the game really is on a second by second basis. Because games today are just so complicated. I mean, you know, the, the what do you call this, the, the time and the effort everybody puts into the animation, the graphics, and, you know, just the subtleties of the game kind of break the games in a way in that it they fail to basically polish the gameplay mechanics themselves, which to me are king more than anything, you know. Games are, as I said in the previous segment, primarily, or at least mostly at their heart, an interactive experience. So the controls have to be spot on, the gameplay mechanics have to be spot on, they have to be simple enough so that the player can enjoy everything else about the game. They can appreciate the level design, they can appreciate the graphics, they can appreciate everything else. Because without these simple controls, without these very, very polished controls and interactive elements of the game, then nobody will play the game no matter how good they are. But the great, great thing about Mega Man 9 is that, you know, the, the, I guess the gameplay mechanics have been established so long ago that they can really focus on just making a very, very unique experience, a very, very fun experience. So, um, that said, this game is not for everybody. I mean, I, I really do think that it's only because I am a fan of Mega Man that I can actually tolerate how brutally difficult it is, because it is quite difficult. I mean, it took me a while to basically beat my first my first boss, and basically it took me even longer to beat my second boss. But then again, after I beat the second boss, uh, I was, was just basically just plowing through everything, because I've already memorized everything in the level, right? And... That really is retro gaming at its purest, that there's a lot of memorization that is involved, and that's what make you, makes you sort of better in the game. I did mention that earlier, that, you know, um, that games should not be designed to make you artificially better, and that they just keep giving you power-ups and all that, but really that you learn as you go through the game, what you can do, what the limitations of your character in the game are. And to me, that's what really makes the game so much satisfying because, you know, the game, each level in Mega Man 9 is designed in such a way to be, it's quite short. I mean, you can blow through it in just a few minutes, depending on how good you are. But because they are so short and everything, no matter how really, really difficult they are, every time you play through it, you get that much farther into the level. And I think that's very, very satisfying. I mean, it's not like a lot of the modern games now that there's nothing happening. Like, you know, you just run around doing nothing for like five minutes. It's a sandbox environment. Nothing happens. And yet, supposedly, you're supposed to have fun because it's just an open world. But then again, there's nothing happening, right? In contrast, these games, these retro games like Mega Man 9 are very, very gameplay-driven. 
they know they're not that pretty or whatever and all of that and they make up for that in the gameplay itself that so many things are happening that you know basically give players a migraine or something or that makes them want to throw the controller and everything but to me that is not a bad thing and is in fact so so good because again um it's really it really comes down to how the game is designed and how the 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 designer understands the player um i really don't understand how spoiled games gamers have become these days because I remember playing, yeah, Mega Man 2, and it wasn't a very, very easy game back in the day, and I was, what, seven years old or something? Eight years old? I, I forget, really. But, you know, it's sort of strange, because these games are considered hardcore, right, by today's standards and everything. But then again, are they really all that hardcore when... I was able to play them when I was seven years old. Are you telling me that the attention span of people these days are so short that, you know, they can't even compare to a seven-year-old's back in the 80s? So, eh, I guess fine. It's a function of how, you know, things have changed over the years, how media has changed, how we have changed as well. But definitely fine. Mega Man is a hardcore game and I mention this because I'm sort of just worried that Mega Man 9 might not reach, um, you know, as high a, profit, a profitability as it wants to because it's skewed towards hardcore gamers more than casual gamers and everything, and that might hurt its sales and everything. But, you know, I'm just really, what I'm really trying to say is that even casual gamers should play this game because there is an immense sense of satisfaction that you can get from playing this game. Granted that, you know, a lot of people will just play it, find it so difficult, and never play it again, but I really do urge people to just give it a chance and play through it, because, dude, I, I'm telling you, it's so, so much fun, because the controls are very, very, very simple. They're, you really can't complain about it. You know the limitations and everything. You know what you might have screwed up. That's why you died and fell on a pit or crashed into an enemy and all of that. And it really just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's one of those games that really when you're frustrated, you can't finish it at all. So you really have to you know, psych yourself up and really just calm down, play the game. And if you do that, you'll most likely you know, do better in the game. And to me, you know, that is just games as they should be. You know, not like games now that you basically mash buttons and everything, and ooh, something cool happens, and you finish a game. You finish a level. You know, it's just, there's something wrong with that. And I think we need more games like Mega Man 9 that really make players play a game. Play a game that was very well thought of. Play a game that has, make has, you know, very simple controls and very purposefully simple controls because simple controls really make the gameplay stand out, really make how fun the game is stand out. I mean, I was talking to somebody and he was basically complaining that he wants Mega Man to basically crouch or do all these other things. And to me, you know, while I see his point because it is frustrating that you can't basically kneel down and avoid all these bullets and everything, but to me, you know, that it making i mean you know taking out the whole crouch mechanic just makes the game a lot more pure a lot simpler to understand there's not a lot of factors you know playing into it and it just makes a more solid game design like you know i mean i don't really know if it's progress in the game to make everything so so realistic in that you know um you have a game, basically, he sh your character, who is human, should be able to do everything that a human being can do. In other words, he can jump, he can run, he can do all of these things. But to me, you know, that's really not as important as making a game that is simple and, and, uh, and understandable. You know, something that is... I really don't know. Maybe it's a natural progression of the industry that everything has to become a lot more realistic, that everybody has to, you know, ex I don't know how to put it really. Um, I guess everybody expects games to play a certain way or something like that, that they expect a character to be able to do certain things right off 
off the bat, right? And to me, it's sort of a a backwards way of looking at things. I guess it's sort of they want to be spoon fed all the time. And while I do agree that you don't have to learn a game, that a game that demands you to learn it is actually a badly designed game, I would agree with that. But then again, you know, to actually expect things of a game and just expect yourself to be able to play it very, very quickly is also, you know, uh, a, sort of a bad thing for the gamer himself. So, you know... I myself am a firm believer that simpler controls really is king, and that will allow again the game design to 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 shine through. And you know, Mega Man Nine is a great example of that. Very very simple controls. You can only shoot straight, no diagonals or anything. You can only jump. You can only jump a certain distance and everything. And the variety and the challenge really comes from the level designs themselves. How the AI or I don't know, the lack of AI, just, you know, basically pattern matching or anything, you know, just memorizing the patterns that bosses and enemies do and all of that. Hey, there really isn't AI in this. But anyway, um, point is, yeah, just a lot of thought was put in the game, and I really, really do feel that, you know, um, retro games are not really appealing because they're retro it's not really just pure nostalgia but really why retro games appeal is how pure the gameplay is for these kinds of games how you know very exact everything is given to you and if something fouls up in the game it's not the game's fault but yours right and i think that's something that modern games contemporary games should take into account and I think if they do that, will be you know a lot of more interesting games are gonna come out. I mean, I do appreciate the more realistic um, games that have that are coming out lately. But then again, you know we shouldn't forget that game where games came from that they really are purely uh, I don't know um, just a fun way to spend your time that. You basically play within the rules of a game and enjoy it as it is, you know. People don't play chess and say that, hey, why can't a horse do this? Why can't it move like a rook or anything? These are limitations that are purposefully put in the game to make the game play as it should, right? And again, yeah, Mega Man 9, dude, buy it. It's really, really fun. I haven't finished it yet, but I will definitely finish it. I mean, I basically beat the 8 bosses and i said you know what i want to figure out what power kills which boss so i basically replayed it and now you know i'm playing it again before really trying to dive into wily stage and everything so you know it's all good it's all good so even for non-mega man fans if you were too young to have played mega man and everything go go buy it um it will be one of my favorite mega man games of all time together with one two three mega man x and Mega Man 9 is probably going to be there in that top 5, right? So, there you go. Um, up next, Sandbox. So this week on Sandbox, I want to talk about my favorite movies of the summer, which would be The Dark Knight and Wall-E. So, yeah, um, I know it's a little bit too late to talk about it, but then again, you know, I just wanted to... To share with you guys you know how come I really like these these movies in particular actually you know before Dark Knight and Wally -E came out here in the Philippines then my top movie of the summer was definitely undisputedly for the longest time Iron Man right um, Iron Man and I guess a close second was Speed Racer mostly because Speed Racer was just something I didn't expect anything from and yet turned out to be pretty good I mean it actually had a story and all of that but Iron Man because it was just a brilliant brilliant superhero movie that you know it actually I, I was telling myself that you know what i might have enjoyed this a lot more than i did spider-man 1 when it came out and you know and that's a good thing because i really enjoyed spider-man 1 um so yeah um when dark knight came out like whoa i was totally totally blown away especially by the performance of heath ledger and everything and that really is what sold the movie to me how amazingly 
you know, performed, I guess, the role of Joker was. It, how realistic and actually, you know, almost caricature-like they made the Joker appear in this movie. Because, it, it you know, um, before the movie, my favorite rendition of Joker really was the one in Warner Brothers animated series, right? The one that's uh, voiced by Mark Hamill. Um, I mean, you know, that basically is the fun Joker and everything. He was genuinely fun. He was genuinely crazy as well. And he had the best Joker laugh ever. But, you know, I'll have to basically put that to the side and say that my favorite rendition of Joker ever is this, the one in Dark Knight by Heath Ledger. Um, I'm not, I don't read Batman. Um, I'm not much of a comic person, but I do know some stuff because basically my brother talks to me about comics a lot. And so I really don't know what the Joker really should be like. But I really, really do like um, how, you know, Christopher Nolan and um, Heath Ledger did the character in this movie because it's so so surreal but at the same time so believable as well you know um he's just this force of nature basically that during the movie you don't question how he's able to do a lot of things that how the hell did he put those explosives in this certain building so quickly and how did well how come nobody noticed i mean yes to me that is very very strange you know i mean it's a sort of a, a nuance uh, sort of a problem that i might have but then again you know i was willing to suspend my disbelief and basically say you know what yeah the joker can do that because he's he's just that you know force of nature that i was talking about earlier yeah so you know it's just the villain as a villain should be he he's just a villain because he wants to be that is his purpose he's not after money he's not after you know any satisfaction any financial satisfaction or he's not driven by that he really is just this villain and that's really just scary if you ask me and that's why the character of Joker was just so brilliant and that's how why i enjoy the movie so much i mean i didn't really care much about Two-Face, although a lot of people have said that his um, Aaron Eckhart did perform beautifully as Two-Face. And um, what do you call this? In, and Batman played by uh, yeah, yeah. Christian Bale, sorry, um, was also quite okay. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, everybody played their part, in my opinion. Um, actually... Chris, uh, Batman was really sort of the one that was underplayed the most to me, and and everybody else basically really drove the story. Um, I really liked how it ended. Um, you know, it it wasn't open ended. I mean, I guess some people would say it was sort of open ended, but to me, it was a proper ending. Okay, it's not. A conclusion i suppose but it was a proper ending in that it lends itself well to a sequel but it leaves the audience very very satisfied nonetheless that um you know it was a complete thought that yeah fine two-face might have been short-lived and everything but i think that was just very very mas- masterfully done and it was just right for the movie i mean i enjoyed it very very thoroughly and if you guys haven't watched it dude you, you, sh- you should watch it i mean i don't think i spoiled anything or what um it was just good i mean the movie was very very good it was it's re- i'm really really happy that heath ledger was able to finish in a movie and god bless his soul um i really do think he has to be nominated for an academy award this year and really really win it because it was just so brilliant. I mean, I, I can't, I'm sort of speechless about it. It was just so good. It was, it's the only portrayal of a superhero or supervillain that I think was better than anything else I've seen on on the comics, right? So kudos to you, um, Heath Ledger, and Christopher Nolan, and everybody else involved in the movie because it was just so, so brilliant. And I guess uh, moving on, I want to talk about Wally. I mean, I've always been a huge, huge Pixar fan. I mean, bias aside, right? 
Pixar really does make super, super high quality stuff that's unlike the other, um, I don't know, how should you put, you put it? Animation studios, I guess. Like DreamWorks or um, what other stuff? Sony, I guess. Um, and even Disney itself, right? Pixar just, the quality of the things they do, the stories that they choose to, to do are just so, so much more polished. Um, it just has, it seems to have just a lot more thought put in, into it as compared to everything else. Um, and, you know, it really shows in the new movie, which is Wally. Right? A lot of people, at least the people I've talked to, weren't very happy with it for some weird reason. They say that the story is sort of flat, that it was, you know, it happened too late into the movie, that it just suddenly stopped, and that was all there is to it. It was like, huh? And that's it? I guess, you know, um, and a lot of people don't like the fact that Wally actually looks like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Yeah, fine. I mean, yeah, he really does look like him. And a lot of people actually thought it was him for some weird reason. But, you know, <laughs> if, if we were paying attention, no, he's not Johnny Five. He's Wally. And it's, I just found that weird. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people also said that it was weird that they were robots, basically, inanimate objects, you know, supposedly without feelings. And suddenly, yeah, it's supposedly a romantic movie, all of that. You know, uh, I guess all of these points are valid and everything. But, you know, to me, it's just people who want to complain. These people just want to not like it or anything. They just don't want to sit down and watch it and actually really enjoy it. Because it is a very, very enjoyable movie. That said, I also want to point out that I found it very, very weird and jarring and just like, what the hell? When, you know, real people were actually used in the movie. That, you know, there was, there was footage of real people in the movie. And to me, uh, that was sort of disappointing. I, I would have taken that out, really, and just um, did everything completely in CG. But it didn't break the movie at all. Um, it sort of gave it, I guess, a unique stamp because it's the first time Pixar ever did that. But, you know, the important thing really was to me that, you know, how amazingly good Pixar really does their movies, that every single Pixar movie is unique in its own way and does something new. Um, like, say, Finding Nemo was the first time they ever did something underwater, and it was this, you know, visual masterpiece. Um, Incredibles was the first time they actually dealt with, you know, actual humans, as the main um, subject matter of the movie. And they did that very, very well as well. And they did Cars, which is basically, you know, it's not the best, definitely, but it's still very, very good. I love Cars. And it's the first time they did, you know, Cars, basically, yeah, vehicles and everything. And then, of course, you have uh, Monsters, Inc., where, you know, the fur was really, really good and everything. And quite honestly, before I saw Wally, I didn't see anything quite unique about it. It still looked sort of the same. It didn't seem to push anything visually. I mean, you know, if Finding Nemo was about the water, if, like, Monster Sing was about, like, fur or anything, if The Incredibles was about, you know, human animation and all of that. You know, Wally didn't seem to offer that new kind of visual appeal or anything. But I guess um, what it did do better than everything else was really how, you know, animated they made robots that, you know, there was just so much emotion in Wally and Eve that I couldn't really believe that they, they, they couldn't even talk, you know? A lot of people complain that they couldn't talk, but I think that add, added a lot to the charm of the movie that, yeah, you have these robots that cannot talk, and yet, you know, I, 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 I felt that it was a very, very, very emotional movie, more so than Incredibles, or even Ratatouille and all of that. I don't know. I, I guess it's that minimalist way of going about it that you wouldn't expect the movie to be emotional because it deals about robots. And I guess since it is emotional, then that it magnifies it. You know, the fact that it's not supposed to be emotional yet is magnifies the fact that it is. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So if you haven't watched a movie, if it doesn't seem all that appealing to you, you know, I urge you to watch it anyway. It's a very, very good movie. And yeah, they, 
that and Dark Knight are my picks for the summer, definitely. I mean, without question, so much, <laughs> so much, uh, you know, farther from Iron Man, I suppose. But you know, you guys can hate me for that if you want. But yeah, definitely at the, the top of my charts would be Dark Knight, Wally, and yeah, probably followed sort of close by by Iron Man. So there you go. Um, again, I guess that that's it for this week.